Retro Rebel is brought to you by TempleofGeek.com, your one-stop shop for all things geek. You can find all of our episodes and fulfill your sci-fi, fantasy, and geek culture-related needs at TempleofGeek.com. Welcome to the Retro Rebel Gamecast, where we discuss gaming and related topics. Retro Rebel is released Fridays, and you can find this episode and much more by heading to templeofgeek.com or wherever you download your favorite podcast. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Retro Rebel Podcast. My name is Stacy, and with me as always is my fellow Rebel co-host, Amanda. Hello. Hello. Yeah. All right. Is this uh, our second episode, 2023? I mean, second or third, but we've nailed it. I think this is the posting <laughs> schedule the people launch. <laughs> Killing. Absolutely. Staying relevant in the, in the zeitgeist. That's right. <laughs> well, you know, when, when there's something to talk about, we got to get on and do it. So, but uh, so starting it off, what uh, what have you been up to? What have you been playing? Uh, I am still playing Diablo Four. Uh, I am level sixty five or six now. Um, I had to make a whole new character since the last time we spoke. I don't have Bone Boys anymore because the seasonal content you can't carry over your internal character. You have to make a new one. That's right. So I made a new one. I made a sorcerer. I wanted it to be a fire sorcerer. Uh, my partner was helping me level this character because you cannot play together couch co-op if you guys haven't completed the story. And the story is account bound. So I had to make a whole new account and everything. So I had to go through the whole campaign again and level her up plus 50 and do all the stuff before we could play together because he had started a seasonal character and leveled his to like 30 by skipping the story. So we had two characters that weren't at the same place, which sucked. So he was helping me level her and decided to respec her into a frost sorceress without telling me that he was doing that. So I got stuck playing a frost sorceress for about 20 levels, which I didn't want, but it's way more survivable. Um, then I said, well, let me give the chain lightning, uh, oh, excuse me, we have a visitor. <laughs> let, me, let me give the chain lightning a try because uh, everyone says that it's the most powerful sorcerer in the new season right now until the patch came out, which I'll go into in a second. Um, so I did the chain lightning for a while and that was pretty fun because you don't really have to aim. That's the best part about the chain lightning, right? It, if you hit something, it'll hit everything. So it's not a problem. That's right. Um, but then finally, uh, post level 55, I went back to the fire sorcerer cause I had collected sort of enough gear to make that viable again and they had patched it. So it didn't suck. It's incredible now. I'm a fireball wizard. I've got seven like levels of glass cannon because of my gear. I've got seven levels of fireball because of my gear. I've got all these aspects for fireball. So basically, I just throw a fireball and the entire mob dies and I just keep running. So it's fantastic. I've got this thing where the fireball bounces around and continues to do more damage. It's very satisfying. It's on a piece of unique gear that I picked up. So it's great. However... Let me tell you about the grind, my friend. These nightmare dungeons, like you just continue getting keys, little sigils for the same dungeons over and over and over and over. But to the point when we get in the dungeon, we're like, okay, well, the key's gonna be in the top left. Let's go. Like, you know, and we just run through the mobs to the end and, you know, kill the boss and then leave because the mob XP really isn't that, that good. So, um, Right, right. Yeah, the grind is real. I've done everything on the season that you can possibly do. I'm on the second to the last seasonal achievement. Um, I've done everything I can without being level 70 plus. Includes like the um, PvP, like Seeds of Hatred stuff and all that stuff. Even a level 15 Nightmare Dungeon we managed to complete in a really small group. Um, and now it's just grinding for glyphs for my paragon board which you need to like get to the next level it is the most boring thing in my mind i was like oh i just need a level 20 glyph fine i'll do 20 nightmare dungeons job done no the xp of glyphs also scales like your character's xp does and the dungeons give you the dungeon level times two plus two xp for the glyph 
So doing level one and two dungeons was like like a drop in the bucket, right? So I'm having to grind like level nine dungeons on my own. I'm a sorceress. I do die a fair bit because if something gets into melee range, forget it. You know, like you're squishy. Yeah. So uh, it's not very survivable. I did have a really awesome rogue going on the seasonal that I had like gotten up to like level 40 before I realized that we could actually play together and had to completely start over. I'm not going to make any more characters. I don't think like that, you know, having gotten three characters like to extremely like high mid towards the end game sort of levels. It's really exhausting. Like um, I don't see this character ever achieving level 100 because someone said, when you get to level 95, you're halfway there. No, I, I can't see that being fun for me. I'm already not enjoying the end game content because there is none. Right. And that, that's a, that's a problem. That's a that's a problem, and I've got some ideas about that. Excellent. So, to that point, and I think uh, I got a lot of ideas, and maybe these are ideas for a future show. But one of the things that you said that really hits on, I think, an issue with AAA and what we're going to talk about today is scaling in general. Just scaling a dungeon, scaling the game. Uh, Blizzard has done it in both of their big IPs right now with. Diablo and they did it first with with uh, World of Warcraft but also and we can address this in the main topic have games lost sight of what is fun about repetition so that in and of itself sounds not fun yeah and, and so maybe that's something we can dive into completely uh, on its own but it's something to think about because I remember the the Final Fantasies, especially the first ones, where that was a huge part of the gameplay, was grinding, getting your character up. This is the difference. So the reason that you would grind was so that I could be so OP, it was fun to go into the dungeons and just, like, blow everybody's face off. It was just, that was a lot of fun to do that. And, and I knew that that was attainable. Unfortunately, now, grinding, as I go up, so do they. And it's like, there is... No such thing as really great yeah, uh, as it used yeah, to be. Yeah, so, I mean, I could go into, like, sub-six-level Nightmare Dungeons and just blow the face off of things, but the payoff is not worth it. So, right. you know, it's sort of, they incentivize you to do as hard a dungeon as you possibly can because the grind is so painful, which kind of sucks. I mean, when I walk through the world and something tries to attack me and I just obliterate it and move on, like it is crazy to think that my character is actually good. But when I do the content that I need to do in order to achieve these tasks they've set for us in the seasonal campaign, uh, I feel just as underleveled as I did the entire time because the, the mobs... yeah equate to each other in terms of how fast they die if you're sort of keeping up with the with the content that you're doing um which kind of sucks i like yesterday i was like a tiny fractional away from leveling when me and my partner were like about to go to bed and i was like oh like Um, we had just killed the boss in a dungeon. Um, and it was a pretty hard dungeon because we had a third player with us who had to leave like halfway through the dungeon. So it was a little challenging anyway, but I was like, Oh, I'm, I'm so close to leveling. Are there any other mobs that we like didn't sweep up in this dungeon? We just sweep up real quick. That'll probably do it. And we were running around. We couldn't find any. So we're like, fine. I'll, we'll just kill some stuff right outside the door. So we exited the dungeon and we were running around for mob and I shit you not. It took 20 minutes to find enough right regular level mobs to do the tiniest smidgety 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 smooth at this point we could have just run another dungeon and it would have been faster and that i think is the problem like there's no there's no in-world payoff for anything also like when you have to roll another account it's really depressing because i had taken hours to go through and find all of the altars of lilith on my partner's account for like the northern half of the map and the plan was i was going to do the southern half like later in the week before i realized i need a whole other account do you think i found them on mine no because i can't be bothered because it took such a long time to do it that one day that i did it and i'm just so crushed that it provided me with no benefit right that i just can't be bothered to go through and do it again yet right 
So I just think like, you know, that probably is the issue. Like I want to experience the other classes, but seeing how bad the end game and how boring the grind is after level 50, like it's exhausting, boring. It's not even fun. I think that you just nailed the problem with the grinding too, though, is that so you've got all the and replayability is that you've got all these classes and it's like, yes, dive into our game, play all these classes. But when you have to invest that much time in each just to get to a point where you can enjoy those classes and then that's when the real work yeah. starts. That is ridiculous. So let's 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 put a pin in that and we'll come back to that in just a minute. Um so it has, that's basically oh, what yeah, you've been playing. Is I've, been the I've been trying to get a hold of Baldur's Gate, which is our main topic for the day. Um, but my PC is a work PC. It's not really like set up for that sort of thing. I wouldn't want to tax it by playing a really difficult game on it. And um, Stephanie Sterling in her video last week made me think that I could play on the Switch. And I got really excited. Uh, but I think it was just unrelated chatter while holding a Switch. Um, because I was like, right. where do I find this? Can I play it on the Switch? Let me charge it up. Like, you know, like, well, no, you can't. I even went to the actual store because I thought like, oh, it's got to be there. <laughs> um, no, yeah. I'm going to have to end up getting it for the PlayStation 5, which is fine because I have no interest in playing Diablo 4 by myself, like when my partner is not there. So I guess no one's using it. So I might as well. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No. <laughs> Sweet yeah. dog. Yeah. So no. Yeah, that's that is 100 percent correct. And but although I do think it might be worth and not maybe not in y'all's house, but uh, the Steam Deck, I heard it runs fairly well. So you might be able to that might be an option at some point. If you all uh, invested in the Steam Deck, you could play maybe on that. Maybe That's what James Stephanie Sterling was holding. And I just thought it was a switch. Yeah. It was probably the Steam Deck. I yeah, I bet it was a Steam Deck. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you can play it on a handheld, just not the right. one of your yeah. choice. Right? I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. probably not going to spend another oh, late hundred or so quid on a handheld, considering I just bought one. But um, but right. the PS5 version, I think, is coming out next month. So uh, which happens to be my birthday. So I've asked for that for my birthday. So we'll see if it happens. <laughs> well, that that would be good. And also, just as a devil's advocate, mm. you have a work computer. You wouldn't need a game computer per se if you had a Steam Deck. So just <laughs> well, also just say, yeah, <laughs> you know, so you wouldn't have to buy a new computer. And anyway, so I have been, I have not been playing Diablo. As I was telling you off air, I am no longer uh, on the Blizzard uh, wagon again, um, and I can't. I will not make any promises. I can't keep. So I'm not saying I'm not going back. I'm just saying that I'm not playing Warcraft or Diablo. I was kind of upset at both of them. And some changes that they had made to World of Warcraft that made that fall right in line with what we're going to talk about today. You know, so the story so far in uh, Dragonflight has been great. Like I've really enjoyed the story in World of Warcraft. However, it is gatekept behind your reputation. So I have to grind reputation with these different organizations to get my my uh, you know my level up high enough that they'll release new new uh, quests and that will unlock more of the story and I'm like and and there's not like there aren't like main quests they're daily quests so this is the grind part where you come in and do your dailies to get up enough reputation so that I can get more story quests I'm like this is you know on planet <laughs> bullshit it's like I don't want to do this. It's and because they're not necessarily that much fun. You got to go all over the map to do it. You got to find certain ones that do that give you the reputation for just the certain places. Yeah. And so, like, I, I wasn't really interested in that. And I knew uh, Starfield's coming out uh, next month. Is that right? Star yeah, is it Starfield? So, I believe yeah. the Bethesda. Oh, yeah, that, and I so I was like, too. I probably will play that day well, one. Well, I wanted to play that one, but I had heard about Baldur's Gate, and I'm such a big fan of d and I'm probably the biggest fan of D&D that has not played one sit-down tabletop game maybe in the world because I have every book. I have read, uh, I've read, you know, the 
Forgotten Realms and all of that. I've read the books. Like I know the content. I've just never what? said that's crazy. Like, I run a and d game every single week. You should join. I know. And I think it's a, it's a matter of being able to sit down for three or four hours. I'm just not in that place in my life. I can't. So, you know, it's like, I, I would love to, I think it would be so much fun. I just haven't done it, but I've played adjacent games, games that deal with similar topics or mechanics. And so I'm familiar with the vernacular. I know, I know kind of how the process works. And, um, and I have played games that use similar mechanics, uh, like, um, I want to, is it, uh, divinity? Yeah. Uh, there's another one that's pillars of yeah. eternity is one. Uh, that's they're just you know they're really deep mechanic games that require like you know you're gonna have to learn. Pillars of Eternity, and I can't explain why I liked what I was doing. I couldn't either. I did not like Pillars of Eternity. Like I played it, and I just didn't. I didn't enjoy it. So I say that to say I bought Baldur's Gate on a whim because I loved Baldur's Gate uh, one and two on PlayStation Two, the hack and slash dungeon crawlers. Not the Baldur's Gate that was on the PC, which was kind of like the uh, those are the predecessors to this. You know, the stories kind of carried on and it was adjacent on those PS2 games. I loved those games. Those games were great. They're not very deep mechanically. They're not deep in character creation or any of that stuff. You know, you just kind of get what you get. I think the closest thing you got to like real D&D was Drizzt was a player you could mm. unlock if you finished the the. Baldur's Gate 2 and you maxed it out on the highest level, you could unlock Drizzt and then play with him in your in your party for the, the next playthrough. And the cool thing was is you could carry over every single thing you got up to that point in, in the next playthrough. So all of your armor, all of your gear, everything, everything's kind of scaled up a little bit, but you had every, every spell, all your armor and everything that you had collected throughout your playthrough. So that was fun and made playing again and, and couch co-op. You could do that immediately. So that was a lot of fun. Anyway, that was kind of like my lead in to Baldur's Gate three. I bought it without really, um, without having played the other two. And uh, I am 70 hours in since launch. And you don't have three and, hours to play D&D. See, this is where the lies Well, come. But this is the problem. I play an hour <laughs> and then I'll play like two at night. It's like I got four hours, just not in a row, <laughs> you know. So I got two here, one over here, two over here. And the thing is, is that I spent an hour and a half in character creation. Everyone was, apparently you know, does. Just, you know what's so funny about that? The woman who sings the song that plays during character because she's on TikTok and she's like making all these jokes like serenading you while you choose the correct penis for your character like <laughs> that is a fact and that is a choice that is a choice and you can you can choose it and it is um it is something let's just say that so um anyway so we'll get into more uh, of that that game but I do want to talk about a, a couple things from that game that I thought were really uh, interesting, just at least uh, as a prelude to the topic. Booting it up and everything, you know, I had to update my driver. Um, <laughs> of, absolutely, you had to, and and it chugs a little bit, but I think that it chugs and it started it started to chug as it would uh, as it would load more and more with my save data. Like I had so much save data, I think I've got like almost like seventy five different saves at this point because you can update you can increase the number of auto saves and save files that you have that it will store for you and so i've got all this this memory that's being occupied right now by just save spots oh no, you're because not supposed to do that you little save scummer i am well because what i have found is everything that happens in this game can go awry so quickly that if you don't do that or at least save relatively uh, often that any encounter could go four or five different ways, maybe more than that, just by who's speaking and then your dice roll. So like it could go in or which option you choose, because if you choose, it may give you five or six different options. Some of them are racially uh associated. Some of them are based on your own statistics. So if you've got stats in charisma or wisdom or persuasion or intimidation, yeah, based on which one you choose, that could end the conversation. Or if you pick the right one, it might go five or six more lines. Yeah. 
Uh, one of those may, and at any point, it may cause you all to have to fight. It may get that character to join your party. It may end up to where you just pass by and you're just kind of annoying, but nobody's really attacking you and you're able to go through. So it, the, the, the options are... I wouldn't say that they're infinite, but they're more than we're going to count and probably more than any one person is going to experience. It's just, it's been amazing. And so I've had, I've had so much fun playing. I've never had more fun failing at a game. I can just say that (laughs) I've never had more fun going into a situation and not succeeding because it incentivizes you to figure out, use your environment, uh, approach situations differently, more carefully and more thoughtfully. So there's a lot to it and there's a lot to unpack. And I I definitely want to talk about that. But yeah, I've had nothing but uh, Baldur's Gate on my mind every day. Whenever I wake up, I'm thinking about what time of the day I'm going to be able to play it. It's so funny. It's it's great. I mean, it's really been a lot of fun. And and, uh, it but although it's probably also for someone with my sort of personality and ADD, uh, probably bad because I think of it more than I'm thinking about work or, or anything else. It's what other people probably dive in first in the games thinking. <laughs> so, but yeah, anyway, so that brings us to the news. You have any news, news, news by Amanda? Uh, I do have news. My only piece of news is about Netflix gaming. So they had this sort of Netflix gaming service where you could download games onto your phone and stuff like that. Um, they are now doing a cloud gaming service test. Um, Oxenfree is one of them, which I know that you like. Um, and it's basically a small beta test to a few members in the UK and Canada that uh, can access this streaming part of the service and they'll be able to stream games onto their TV PC and use their mobile phone as a controller. So that's sort of how the setup works. Uh, It's interesting. I mean, Amazon doesn't seem to have a whole lot of success with this. Google didn't have a whole lot of success with this, which is weird because these are dominant players in this space. So I'm not sure how well that um, Netflix is going to do, frankly, because I think that using your phone as a controller actually doesn't work that good. Like, just full stop, it's not a great experience. Like, the reason why we have controllers and they're sort of formed the way they are is because they allow for, like, longer playthroughs and keyboard and mouse works for games that require a lot of precision. And there's really not a whole lot in between that works for both. Um, So I'm not sure that it's going to be that successful. I think that... In terms of cloud gaming right now, the dominant player is the Xbox Games Pass. Like it just, you know, works the best consistently, has the best like complete functionality and also includes the ability to play games on mobile already. So I'm not sure why Netflix is going into this, but perhaps they see it as a lucrative option. But it was interesting news. So I thought I would bring it up and see what you think. Yeah, no, I, I think it's interesting because Xbox is probably the best right now. PlayStation is is second, and then a very distant third, maybe Stadia. I guess I mean, is that even supported uh, anymore? I thought. I think it still gone. is. I think it is. Uh, but the as far as Netflix goes, they haven't done a good job of advertising this at all. Like I, if you didn't say it. I probably would have forgotten that it is a thing. And every time I hear it, I almost immediately forget it because I don't even know where to find it on my Netflix. Like, I don't even know. It's not easy to seek out and find where the gaming is. And not, not that I'm necessarily interested in it. Although hearing that Oxenfree is on there and knowing that Oxenfree 2, I believe, was released, and I still do want to play that, um, is out. So, uh, I mean, that is a good game yeah. and a, a good get for them. But anyway, that's yeah, that is interesting. I just don't know where they're going to go with it. And I can tell you from having played other games on my phone that even though the touchscreen is is receptive and fairly intuitive, the fact that you don't have the the touch of the gamepad and like the tactile sensation that you know where you're going. I don't know where my thumb is sometimes, so it's not actually on the controller. So I'm not actually directing my character. And that's a frustrating part of that is there's no, there's no biofeedback or feedback from the controller that allows me to know I am where I am so that I can react more quickly. Uh, Especially in games that require precision controlling, that's not happening on there. Uh, 
I don't even know how people have been playing Fortnite on their phone because as much clicking as you have to do on that, that seems nearly no, impossible. No, I played, I played so. like a nothing game. I played Coffee Talk on my phone, and it was so annoying. <laughs> like the controls were sometimes over the dialogue, and that. it just wasn't. It just wasn't working. So I just don't I don't think that the phone as a controller is really working as intended. And I have the like snap in add-on controller thing for my phone, but I don't use it because once again, you know, if I am out and about, the Nintendo Switch is a better experience than that anyway. And I need my phone to pay for things. I can't drain the battery goofing off gaming on the train and then not be able to get home, right? That's a legitimate concern, whereas the Switch I don't need for anything else. So I... And that's a concern that a lot of people don't necessarily have in the states mm-hmm. per se but is a concern worldwide so that's that's just a whole other <laughs> uh a whole other issue that people might think of, might not think about i think the only game i have that's like a true legit uh like full game um that's not a designed to be a mobile game is i have a professor clayton game uh from you know it's a it's a switch game or it was on the nintendo ds years ago and so one of them was released it was like two bucks or three bucks on the google play store and i was like well this if i'm sitting in the doctor's office i got nothing to do then i'll you know i i might throw that and play that game and it's a so they're supposed to be really good games and and i i enjoyed the little bit that i did but again i don't have time to sit <laughs> unless i'm in a doctor's office or at you know doing this right here, so uh, I haven't really gotten into that much. But, yeah, remains to be seen. I don't know if that's going to catch on or not. So it may seem like money spent in the wrong area, but that's that's their business, you know, not not ours. So excellent. What about your news? Um, you had about so my news, and I yeah, that's right. No, my news, and and I think this kind of segues nicely into what uh, the main topic is. Uh, so recently. And I want to see the date on this was yesterday. So yesterday, uh, so this is mid-August at this point. Yesterday, Bungie, or Destiny 2 in particular, uh, promised to release a new map pack and free Eververse armor to win back players to the game. So, uh, you know, over the years, we've had episodes where we talked about games that were released with roadmaps that were basically empty worlds you know they're going to put the game in there later they just want you to buy the game now and they want you to get in there and then eventually they'll release you know uh content for it and over time they're going to have this content release schedule that's going to keep you involved and engaged and and check the boxes that AAA wants to do which is keep you involved keep you logged in you know keep you coming back and buying whatever it is that they're they're selling to to uh, create content for this game but they're empty shells they're selling you empty shells and so uh, and this has become more and more prevalent in these in the gaming industry is is these these uh, game designers and and companies releasing these half finished games or shells of games with the intent to make it a live service so that you'll keep pouring money into it to get the actual game content and so Destiny and, and Bungie in particular is releasing uh, a map pack and, and some some armor. And and I and the fans are still upset about this. The fans have been leaving in droves, and this is meant to bring them back. So they're going to throw them a bone. Well, what does that do in the end? Like you know, this is a, this is a band aid to a much bigger problem. Uh, and so anyway, that's I don't know that this is going to have the intended effect that Bungie, <laughs> Bungie was hoping for. And I can tell you that you hit, you hit them with Baldur's Gate three, and then they try to do something like this. This is a, they just got slapped in the face by Larry and studios, you know, with Baldur's Gate three. And this is, this is a half measure. And I do not think it's going to have the impact that they, that they intended it to have. But what do you think? Um, well, I think Destiny, two was already a pretty empty experience i played both destiny one and two i like destiny one a lot more destiny two felt like a more vapid environment like kind of from the get-go i remember being much less excited about it i think i only even played it for a few hours before i abandoned it um 
I don't think that it had much in the way of a story or I couldn't figure out what the story was. Um, if I remember correctly, I mean, this was many years ago or a few years ago when I actually played it the first time. So I haven't been back to it. I mean, no matter how bad a game is, it will have a community, even if that community is only a few hundred people. Right. So I don't know the volumes of people that are playing Destiny. Um, I do feel like Bungie in general isn't the same studio that made Halo. You know, like that was a complete experience. It was innovative. It had content from beginning to end. The multiplayer was just as fun as the story. Like, you know, there was a lot of different game modes and new game modes released regularly to keep you entertained and engaged. I don't think they really do that anymore. I don't think they're the same company. And and naturally, from 10, 20 years ago, those people don't work there anymore. So I guess they're not, but um, it is a shame to see big names like Blizzard and Bungie falling over on things that they used to be good at and known for. Um, You know, I think that Baldur's Gate is going to have a big ripple of impact. Um, on multiple levels. So I think that the fact that people are still upset about what Bungie has tried to do in throwing them a bone is likely a knock-on effect of Boulder's Gate. And also, when a game is as vapid as Destiny is, two little free things, who gives a crap? Do you know? Like, if De- if, if Diablo said, oh, well, you're not having fun doing these nightmare dungeons, well, we'll make two new nightmare dungeons. Oh, wow. So in 20 minutes, I can see something new, you know? I was talking with my partner about like every time we get to the end of a nightmare dungeon, it's usually one of six different bosses. And I said the random generator like could have created hundreds or thousands of different boss combinations to where we would never see the same one twice. Like I don't understand why so little thought was put into the end bosses of dungeons. Like this is actually crazy to me because the mobs are already yeah. identical, right? They're are probably what 10 different 20 different mob types in the entire game right so those are already nothing the maps are just procedurally generated some of them are even identical there are a few like in fact most of them i think are identical now that i think about it because i'm doing the same ones and they are the same and we get to the spot they go oh this looks familiar and it's like these set of stairs that go down so the even the maps are the same so what exactly took the time to create like they don't have dialogue trees they don't have decision trees they don't have this sort of stuff and when you get to the boss in the end of these dungeons and it's the same like bone lord that you fought a billion times you're like okay cool like thanks for that you know (laughs) it actually isn't that interesting so if they were like oh here's the spectral mount i'd be like okay all right. Right. No, I, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that that's the uh, – where's the innovation in that? Like where's the – what have they done that made the game better or did they just make it easier for them to make a bigger game that has nothing in it? And that's what I think they've yeah. done. Because the story yeah. – is so different and the places the like the dungeons you go to within the story are so different from what you get in the end game they are like more meaningful and thought out experiences with different stuff to do in them than what you get in the end game it's just really obvious where the development stopped you know no and then it's just copy pasted copy pasted copy pasted right at the end and so now you've got this this hamster uh-huh. wheel of, of process that you've got to do when all the thought and any, any of the, any of the interesting bits are found in, in the game and the story. And so that's so far that I found that, but I found that it, and I haven't been, I didn't stay in Diablo as long as you did. And, and I also realized that there were builds that, <laughs> that the ignorant could create that would make your character kind of unplayable, at, at the higher levels just because I wanted to play it a particular way. And that way is not feasible. You know, that's this game was not intended for you to have those skills and be successful. Yeah. 
uh, and that's and the, or that combination of skills and be successful. And that's frustrating because otherwise you need to know a roadmap or not have these choices. If you've got choices that are not viable choices to be successful, then don't give those to me because that's not if you don't know then the meta is what you're going to do. You know, you're just, I need to go find what the meta is and then I need to build my character that way so that I can actually play the fucking yeah. game. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know? no, I I mean, I don't really follow builds, but I like am aware of what builds are good. I mean, I sort of build right. intuitively and look at the skills that I'm choosing and then add additional powers that compound on that. I thought I was doing that too. You. you know, I built you know, a- my sorcerer really reached a point where she was struggling like in the thirties because I hadn't, I was leveling up powers to max as I acquired them. And there's a certain point where you have to stop doing that and you need a full tray of powers because you actually don't have enough time to react to things and wait for cooldowns. That was the part, like very briefly, I struggled for about maybe five levels because I didn't have all of my powers, including my ultimate unlocked. And you are apparently supposed to do it that way. Um, and you know, what, but I mean, what, whatever, like <laughs> I want, I wanted everything leveled up in order because of the OCD, but no, I also agree that some ways just don't work as well. Well, and I found that early, very early on, like, I'm not even sure what level I got to. Maybe it was, you know, in the, in the teens or twenties before I quit playing, but I found out very early that if I did not diversify my, my powers, like the two that I had, and I almost had them maxed out and they, and there was an AOE in there. And then I had like a, at least a Mm -hmm. cone attack that I could, as long as I was facing or I could, I could tank them in a particular way, I could turn into a bear as a druid. And, and, and especially the mobs in the world, I could, I could wipe out everything relatively easy. When you go into the dungeons, mm-hmm. though, it's so easy to get overwhelmed and then just waiting for bosses uh, or waiting for your cooldowns to, to complete while I'm fighting a boss. It was like it's, it's a bullet hell plus a number of other <laughs> things where all I'm doing is trying to kite yeah. or, or something else, and, and I just didn't have enough powers or – or anything else to help is the most viable build in the season one of the most viable builds now in the season well they may have they may have fixed it but i can tell you when i played it it was oh my god i just i watched my partner who's playing a barbarian just get squished way more than i do it's it's wild oh and that shouldn't happen that's not supposed to happen because the melee damage is so much higher than the ranged damage that you can get and uh I kill things before they get close to me, generally speaking. So, yeah. And I can't get, I can't kill anything if I'm not yeah. close to it, you know? So I'm going to take damage and mitigating that damage and the defense things. Maybe that's what I'm supposed to be putting my, my power or putting my points in. But anyway, I'm not playing anymore. <laughs> tell him. Boo. All right. Main topic. Let's go. Because no. I feel like we've teased it. That's right. That's right. We've teased it enough. We've talked about it. So main topic is how has Baldur's Gate flipped the apple cart over for AAA games? And and just what are they doing right that I think AAA could learn lessons on? And I hope that they do. I hope that they see um, because there have been examples and we've talked about them on this show many times about how uh, narrative games, games that have a, that are story driven that are single person, uh, at least they're built from that perspective. Like they're built, this is built for multiplayer, but that's not the focus. The focus is, is actually you could actually go through this game by yourself with no companions if you wanted to do it. So it's, it's built from that perspective that, that having a companion in a full party is going to make it that much more of a, a better experience. And then once you get to a point, you can play with other people as well. And so, um, but I think they started the focus in the right spot. So just like I said, I've, I've been playing this and you've been looking forward to playing it. I have watched dozens of hours of videos on builds, on uh, strategies, on mistakes that people make <laughs> when they first start. Many of those. Uh, I've, I've watched a, you know, a lot of content on this and the overwhelming the overwhelming uh, message that I have gotten from what I have watched is positive. And I mean, overwhelmingly positive, uh, not just from people who are D and D fans or that are, that are veterans, but first time players, like people who have never played D and D before. There are a lot of people playing this game that have never really experienced much outside of, 
an RPG. You know, this this may not be their first RPG, but they haven't really gotten into Dungeons and Dragons. And so um, I think that's what has brought it so so far into the mainstream is the population that that isn't necessarily D&D because that's more of a niche crowd. There's no doubt about it. There's no arguing that necessarily. It's not the mainstream. Uh, but D&D has gotten more and more popular with Critical Role, with the movie that came out, and and uh, and it's becoming more accessible. Um, and I think this game, even though it's been in development for a while, uh, is a result of all of that positivity, all of the good um, the good experiences, the gaming experiences that D&D and other games like it, built on those rules, have created. Um, and so I want to talk about a little bit of what they have done right and some of my experiences in it without spoiling anything because I'm, I'm only level four and I've been playing it 70 hours. So <laughs> it's not like, uh, you know, I think level 12 is the cap. Yeah, that's pretty standard um, for most D&D games as well, though, because after level 13, it starts to become really difficult to balance uh, the party. Right. And that's what I've spells heard. is just fucking crazy. And, you know, like the yeah. wish spell, they can just do whatever. How are you supposed to run a game? So, yeah, most games stop there anyway. Right. And that makes sense, and and I can I can tell you that I I will I look forward to the day that I am OP enough to not worry about going into an encounter because that is not where we are <laughs> at right now. So, um, so starting out, you know, you have all of these different um, choices to create a character, the different races, the different um, backstories. You can pick an already made character. You can you can customize your own. Pick your own class, pick your uh, cantrips, pick your spells, pick your feats. Um, so there's a tremendous amount of freedom and to create a character the way that you want to with what you want to play with, like how, how you want to play your character. I, I think what this game does right now that is done in a lot of games is a throwback to the way and probably necessary for a game like this is there is very little handholding. There is like no handholding in this game for the most part. They do give you the tools. Now, it's not all explicit, but they do give you the tools to to find out everything you need within the game. So if you need to inspect a spell, its effects, the pros and cons of adding this to your build, like how this is going to affect your character, there are ways to do that within your character. It just takes time. And so, uh, you know, that is, I think that is absolutely necessary. It's built into the game, but it is not told to you explicitly. So you have to, you have to either listen to somebody else. There is no game manual to figure it out. Uh, so you kind of have to trial and error, uh, which leads to, uh, mistakes. Obviously you're going to build characters that maybe aren't as effective. You're going to go into encounters and fail when you probably could have gone into that encounter uh, more intelligently, or at least with a better plan and be successful. How, what makes this game, at least to me so far, so good is that those failures are so much fun, like dying or failing a role. Everything is, is goes back to the dice. And so you do feel this is the closest I think a game has ever gotten to a D&D experience. And I'm saying that it is about as close as you can. I think it's about as close as you can get um, without making uh, conversational choices completely AI generated and random. Like there is a script. There is a way that things necessarily go. I, I say that, but but I think that path branches. So in every encounter, there could be a dozen different ways that this could go where you eventually fight. You eventually, maybe this character is going to join you. Maybe they're not. Uh, if you go in guns blazing, you might've been able to defuse the situation just by talking. If you come in and you're crouching or, you know, you accidentally do something like you try to pickpocket some pickpocket somebody that's yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, and, and one of your characters is not crouched or hiding. So they are making noise all behind you. You go to pick it and they turn and see you because you know, your barbarians over there kicking over bowls and, and bottles and stuff. Well, then they turn around and now you're fighting whether, but if you had just gone in there standing up, like I'm just coming in here, Hey, what's up? Then you actually have a conversation with that person. And then the whole, the whole village is no longer hostile to you. So it's like, there are so many ways that you could play this game that I dare say that no one person is going to have the same two playthroughs similar. 
because of the different combinations. I'm I'm playing a a drow. Uh, oh paladin. no! You picked the worst class. Well, that's what I heard, but I've always wanted to play a drow. I've, I mean, I've, I've always liked that How race. How are you enjoying the fantasy racism? What's funny is uh, because I'm Seldering and I'm not – because if you're playing RP and you want to actually play the character, if you are if you worship the goddess, well, then you, you are the – we're the best and you're the worst. And so I come into every conversation like I'm talking down Excellent. to you. But if you're, but I don't play that way, but I don't play that way because I'm Seldarine, which is the faction of drow that is trying to unite all of the people and they don't worship the bad goddess. And so when they, when people see me, some are very intimidated. Some are very curious as to why I'm out of the underdark. Some of them, uh, you know, are hostile towards me. But it's because they expect me to be a particular way. And then when I tell them, no, I'm of a different faction, then they kind of loosen up. Um, and so as a paladin also, I've got I've got good skill checks to be able to persuade or to – I got Apparently high charisma. Apparently there's a so, cow that just hates you right away and calls you a monster. <laughs> yes, there is. Very early in the game. Very, But if you talk to the cow right mm. – if you talk to the cow, right, then because I started out as a ranger. So basically I made the worst race with the one of the worst classes to play this particular game. Um, now you can build that ranger to be relatively strong, but I found early on I was way too squishy and I didn't understand. And I still don't necessarily understand how um, to arrange my party so that I am in a position that is to be successful because I was, I built it to be more of a ranged, uh, more, more of like a, more of an archer and less of a hand to hand combatant. And when I went to Paladin, it just made me much, a much more stable, you know, for somebody who's not necessarily as experienced, a Paladin is just a much easier place. It's harder, I think, to play a more, second tier support character like a cleric or a ranger because they're they're very good at supporting a party but they're not very good at the front or as an instigator at all even in normal like right. D, i wouldn't say that i would recommend those for no or like a bard oh, was God. a bard potential is like the king of support you know. yeah i mean if you want to sing them to death yeah. by all means like well, and they supposedly have very specific, very unique conversation choices if oh, you're yeah. bored like versus the, versus the others. Universe. Yeah, and and that's fantastic. So so without you know, we will come back into uh, some more of the specifics. But I wanted to get into some of the what the game does right, what the game does well that AAA games AAA games have gotten away from, and then just kind of see what your thoughts are, or at least how uh, your experiences in AAA games have. Uh, kind of relate to this. So um, as I said, initially, there is no handholding. So one of the things a lot of these games have is that like a tutorial, which is like the first portion of a game. Sometimes it's a very long portion of the game uh, where it's just a tutorial and then it kind of turns you loose in the world. In this game, you can end up so deep. You can actually be in the Underdark within an hour, which is you're not supposed to be there, but you can be there. And it will, they will, it will, your ass is kicked right back up to the surface. So there is, but there's nothing to really tell you outside of learning the hard way that I wasn't supposed to go in there yet. Um, and, but once you do, if you take the lessons that you learn and you realize that almost everything that's on the screen could potentially be of use during that encounter and every encounter. Whether it's a, a candle, you can you can pick up a so if you're walking through and I see like a a barrel that's full of uh, gunpowder, I can get my barbarian to carry it, and so my barbarian will carry it. Then I can actually set it down if I see that I'm coming into an encounter. I can set it down next to something, shoot it with a fire arrow, which will cause this explosion that knocks either everybody out or if they're next to a ledge, it knocks them off the ledge or off the cliff or wherever else. Now they're dead. And so, you know, and you didn't even have to fight. If there's a, a, a brazier that's hanging over them or a statue that's behind them, I can attack the statue. The statue falls on top mm. of them and then it's over with, you know, so your environment 
is a part of the game and it is such, it's like another character. And, and if it's knowing your party and your characters, how you've built it and then how best to use your environment for every single encounter. And there are a lot of encounters and not all of them are hostile. So the mechanics are, are, uh, deep and very learnable. Like it's, it's very approachable. If you want to, if you're just willing to learn a game the way that these games used to be taught, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think it's very intuitive. So the game is very intuitive for somebody who's never, never played this and never really gone this deep into a game that's like this. Like we said, with, with divinity or with pillars of eternity, it's, similar in terms of like the approach and and how everything is a is a skill check and and you know all that stuff's happening in the math behind the scenes here it's such it's right in your face like you you know exactly what in fact you are adding armor changing changing the mechanics of your party based on that stuff you're looking at it regularly it's like like if i add this piece of armor does it put me in a different class so that i can so that I'm able to be more defensive or more, more offensive in a given situation. What you carry in your inventory, like the thought behind the gameplay in this is so thorough and so player friendly. Like the approach was meant to make this be the best experience that a player can have uh, in, in, you know, given all, all circumstances, like they did not gatekeep any content. Everything is in there in the game, ready for you to play right now. And, and I think that's something that AAA games have gotten away from. They think, or they're at least trying to make you believe that the single player narrative is not a, it's not, it's not a viable, it's not a, it's not a financially successful model. Like we can't do that. That, that type of game doesn't sell. They're proving that to be – they've proven that to be incorrect with uh, Tears of the Kingdom, Breath of the Wild. Uh, that's just Nintendo. Other games have done the exact same thing for years. You know, they're – the narrative is trying to be – they're trying to shift that narrative to this passive income for these companies. You know, they want they want you to monthly subscribe or to be paying for the Game Pass every, every month or two months or whatever while this game is – was sold to you complete, ready to go out of the box, full experience. And so, you know, I think that games like this, and, and then the first thing that happens is, did you read this? The first thing that happens once this game gets released, did you see all of the companies coming out against what? it? What? No. Why would they have oh, an opinion? Yes. They said this should, bio. I think Bioware, I want to say, I don't think Blizzard had the sand to do it, but I'll find, we can find it, maybe even put it in, in our notes or, or, or on the, when we, when we publish this, but there, there were a number, I think, Oh, who does um, Assassin's Creed? Ubisoft. Ubisoft. Yeah. I think they were one of oh, them as well. Surprise, Basically surprise. there's right. They're saying that this, this, is, this should not be the example that people choose. This is not what AAA games are supposed to be. This is not a good example of it. They're saying they're trying to change the narrative. Like it's like telling you uh, the sky's not blue. Like, no, 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 don't don't. That's definitely not true. The sky's definitely not blue. And you're like, well, it surely does look blue. You know, this this surely does look like a good game. This surely does look like the type. And Larian's a relatively big studio. Proving that you can and should put into effect a game that is complete that has a full experience and, and, and the, and the numbers are proving it eight over 800,000 concurrent players. One of the most popular concurrently played games in the history of steam in the history. And this is not multiplayer games. We're talking about all games. You know, this is one of the most concurrently played games ever on steam. And what they've done well is replayability uh, deep, learnable, enjoyable mechanics, a narrative-based story, all of the things that AAA games right now are excluding from games, stripping from games and making you pay for after. And it's a shame because, in my opinion, this is one of the best games I have ever played. Um, it's in my top ten for sure. I'd say it's really in my top five. and pro- I, I want to say it's one, but I loved Knights of the Old Republic so much and how similar 
the gameplay experience is to Baldur's Gate mm. 3. Baldur's Gate 3 is just the evolution of what you what you did in KOTOR, you know? Yeah. So. Well, I would say, like, uh, there are some concerns about Baldur's Gate becoming the standard for teams that aren't resourced properly because mm. – Right. While Baldur's Gate exploded in the last few weeks, its development start cycle started in 2017. That is nearly a decade right. of time being put into the game. They already had two franchises to take their tech and stuff from that put them ahead of people trying to develop, say, like a new IP. And they were in early access for three years. So that's why it's released with basically no bugs. Um, and they had 400 developers working on the project. I think the reason why some developers are nervous is because crunch is already a problem. And if this becomes the standard for people like Ubisoft, who will mistreat their employees and who won't provide the proper resources and who will try to make that early access period three weeks instead of three years and stuff, um, I think the concern is that Larian Studios made a good game the right way. They're worried about people right. trying to make a good game the wrong way. Um, and I'll just link into the notes this piece from Game World Observer, which quotes um, a the head of Strange Scaffold, uh, Alex Xavier Nelson Jr. They're the ones that did Space Warlord Organ Training Simulator, and they're working on that Max Payne-like shooter, El Paso. Um, and he's basically just sounding the alarm and saying like, this game is incredible and that's a problem because now yeah. this will be what executives and bosses expect without resourcing people like Larian Studios actually did. And that's the, that's the concern is that everything that's right. great for us that we love, no microtransactions, a game that isn't full of bugs, a complete experience. It costs 60 quid instead of 70 quid, which everyone sort of cottoned onto the 70 quid thing. You know, all that stuff is great and it's amazing, but in the wrong hands, this is a crunch nightmare, right? Like this will make right. the working conditions even worse. Um, right. That, that, that's my worry because I know what Ubisoft is going to do to its development team. Do you know, like I know what they're going to do now that this is a standard, it's going to suck. Like they're going to have to do what SAG-AFRA is doing and strike in order to get some standards put into place. Because if this is the games that the community wants, and I think we can all agree that this is the kind of game that we would prefer. Like Diablo 4 has been a disappointment in comparison because what seemed like a really fun game while you're going through this story is suddenly vast it in nothing once you complete the story the season isn't that good they nerfed us as the very first patch which was a fucking weird choice excuse my french so if the direction that we're going is Baldur's gate 3 right how do we do that without harming people in the process because larian studios set a good example i can guarantee you that blizzard ain't gonna follow it ubisoft isn't gonna follow it they're gonna just crunch and put their thumb down on the workers and treat them even worse than before to now get an even better product than before why do you think that they nerfed at the beginning and the answer is relatively simple it makes it harder for you to advance in the game so you're gonna have to stay in longer and if you enjoy it enough or at least it's got you hooked enough that you'll stay in there and do it well then they've got you you know they they've got you. they learned the long the wrong lesson and that's i guess that would be my only counter to their concern is that yes i agree that is going to be a problem but that is a that is a that is the that are that that particular lesson is basically these companies learning the wrong one they took the the wrong information from this in that why don't you release fewer games, have fewer people on staff instead of trying to maximize? I want I, we need 10 IPs out at once. We've got two that help you fund this one. And these two have been in gestation and development for years. Well, no, that's because the people at the top want yeah. more and more and more. They want all of it. And so the people underneath are the ones that get crushed by it. I think that the solution ultimately is, is is studios like Larian should be supported and applauded for what they're doing. The people at these other institute or these other industries and places, the people in leadership, some of the mid-management leadership need to stand up and say, no, 
to the ones above them because you know the ones at the top are not mm. going to. So they're not going to be the ones to do it. It is it is so apparent, and this has shone, shown a light on on uh, the development cycle of some of these places where they've put the emphasis on on and what's important. And it's obvious that it is not even the developers have come out and said that's I mean, the story of Mass Effect Andromeda is sad. If you listen to the people who actually worked on the game and then you listen to the people who changed the game and the direction of the game for money, they, it, it, they're the people making the games and the people that are making money, the most money off the games are not on the yeah. same page. But I would say like, and that's what, what the problem is. James Stephanie Sterling says all the time is that companies want all of the money all of the time. And the gaming community for all of our good side has never cared about the conditions under which our games are made. And we won't care when people start getting exploited to make Baldur's Gate three style games in the future. We won't like, I mean, I will personally feel sad about it, but it isn't going to stop me from buying the game because I expect people to like, I don't know, stand up and fight for their own rights and stuff. And maybe that's a failure of my own like judgment and conditioning and cultural references and stuff. Like I do think that uh, the gaming industry needs representation. It needs uh, professional bodies in order to ensure that the workers are in a better environment because the gaming community isn't going to demand that we've had many opportunities. The Andromeda story, we all spent our money and left, you know, nobody is thinking about it. We are talking about it now only because we have a podcast. If we didn't, we wouldn't even think about it, you know, and we get mad about telltale and everything for a few weeks. And then we forget for months or years and definitely don't do anything punitive about it. We don't vote with our wallets because the end of the day, we want good entertainment and If we're getting good entertainment as consumers, we're satisfied and we don't really want to see how the chicken nugget is made. Um, So I would, of course, say that I think the objections are valid. And I think you're right that middle management needs to step up. The stakeholders and the senior management, of course, never are going to do that because they're not incentivized to do that. And also, like, the ground workers need to stand up. I think the SAG-AFRA strikes and the nurses' strikes over here and things like that are an example of action that is working and getting results. Um, the, The... Doctors over here just got, I think, like a 14% pay rise or something like that as a result of their actions. Um, And while they're inconvenient and suck strikes in general for the general public, they do seem to work and achieve results that change industries and make it better working conditions for everybody. So I think the people sounding the alarm bells probably are right because the big bosses are looking at Baldur's Gate and saying like, well, we can make them do this as it turns out, you know, and and just trying to crunch the numbers and see how few people they need to employ to achieve that. Do we actually need 400? Can we do 320? 27, you know, like that, those conversations, I guarantee you are already happening. Um, And I think that the people that work within the industry probably need to, and I say this as somebody who lives in a non-union state, but they probably need to unionize in order to fight for better working conditions full stop, especially before something like this does become standard because the gaming industry wants this, right? Us as consumers prefer this we want full experiences we want less bugs you know we want cheaper games that aren't 70 quid you know i can't see any i can't see any of us being like oh no don't make me a Baldur's gate like (laughs) right 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 no i i agree and i think you're right Uh, unfortunately i have spent money on games that ended up being uh, exactly what I am against, which is the vapid experience that costs the full price that's going to nickel and dime me for the rest. Sometimes the game has been good enough for me to kind of rationalize that. But there are a lot of games that I don't purchase anymore. I, I'm Telltale's not even on my radar right. anymore. Um, there are there are games that, I, like, if there was a new Diablo, I wouldn't buy it. I, there's a good chance that I'm not... A good chance. I can't say for sure, but there's a good chance that I don't go, at least not right off the bat, with the next expansion for Warcraft. Just because of the the innovations that they made, the good is not outweighing 
the negative things that they've done to make the game experience less enjoyable. You know, even though I'm in a different place in my life, I still was able to get max character or max leveled in my character and do some of the content. It's it wasn't as fun. You know, that they had taken some of what made that fun. going back and, and doing some of the the old dungeons. That was just fun for me to get to see stuff that I didn't have time to do. That was fun. I would go solo that stuff. Well, now that's not really as, as much of an option. So I can't do that. Well, I guess just to wrap this up, I think this is something we'll probably have to talk about again uh, or want to talk about again. But I, I think what they've done well and what I hope these these other game companies will learn to do the right way, which <laughs> what a big ask. Um, they have rewarding gameplay, Re- rewarding gameplay in that you actually feel like I achieved something, I accomplished something. This is something that in psychological studies is is empirically been shown to be true that people want to earn something they want to feel like what they did the work that they put into it resulted in in a desirable outcome and they actually put work into it they enjoy that players enjoy that and i think that they've kind of nailed that with this particular game that you will stay logged in because being in that world is fun all the time it's fun it's not it's not grindy it's like you might just have a conversation and and how you handle that conversation gave you 500 xp or i can kill 10 10 goblins and i get 300 xp same exact interaction same exact uh group but the way i handled it changed things i didn't have to fight anybody and i leveled up it was because of the way i handled the situation and so that that's just fun because of replayability that every single time i go into this game literally i've reloaded saves and done a situation two different ways than the way that it failed the first time, just because of the way the conversation went. Um, they sold a complete game, and they're not trying to milk the player for money. You know, this is every what you see is what you get. They released it there. They're there. To, they've got hot fixes immediately for the little things that were wrong, but the the game is right there for you to play, and it's right out of the box. So. I'm excited to see, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm really excited for you to get a chance to play it. And so we can eventually compare notes. So maybe that's Give when we'll come back. And, <laughs> yeah, that's when we'll come back and actually uh, compare. So, well, good. Well, that wraps up this week's discussion. I want to thank Amanda for everything. All the notes on this week's episode will be posted on our site, templategeek.com. If you'd like to add to the discussion or reach out with questions, sound off in the comments or message us on Facebook or Instagram at Retro Rebel Podcast. And please head over to wherever you get your podcasts and rate us because that really helps our show. Until the next time.